God made them. Our speaker this past Thursday for Newman Night spoke on the topic of happiness. And I was, I was chatting with him beforehand, and he said to me, uh, Father, I've never been happier in my life, with personal life, but also his marriage. And then he said something interesting to me. He said, but I feel like I can't tell people that because most of my friends are unhappy. A lot of his friends, you know, in the last 20 years have experienced separation, divorce, infidelity. And I just thought that was interesting that on one hand, he is experiencing the happiness, the joy that God created for him in marriage. That God made us for communion, for relationship. And he's experiencing this, and yet at the same time, and maybe this translates to other areas, is he, he doesn't feel like he can share that goodness and truth with others because he doesn't want to hurt their feelings. But God speaks a truth of how we are made and how we find fulfillment today. In our first reading, we hear the story of creation in Genesis that God makes Adam, and he creates all these animals, the birds and the cattle, and, and no matter how many pets Adam has, he doesn't find fulfillment there. They're, they're a blessing from God, thank you, but, but there's something different. A, a union can't be formed there. And so God draws from the, the side of Adam, from his rib, showing the equality of Adam and Eve and dignity and goodness. And... Then in Adam, he sees someone that he can give himself away in love. And he sees this compliment that when the two of them come together, that they form this one flesh union that is open, that is capable of creating life. That with God, one plus one equals three. Like even, even God himself, that God... The Father loves the Son for all eternity. And the Son reciprocates that love to the Father for all eternity. And so you've got the Father and the Son, and the the love between them is so real, so fruitful, that we call him the Holy Spirit, that one plus one equals three, the Trinity. That in marriage, a husband loves his wife with everything, gives himself to her completely. She receives that love and gives herself to him completely. And the love between them is so real, so strong, that nine months from now, we give him or her a name, that that one plus one equals three. That that only God's love can do that. That we we as humans, we know how to destroy, you know, uh, but God himself is the one who knows how to create and give life where, where there was no life. And so in this, this institution of marriage, that somehow God himself is made visible in the world. And so when we say that, that man is made in the image and likeness of God, yes, we have free will, we have intellect, we have reason. But even in our bodies that our, our bodies make manifest to the world this mystery of who God is. Isn't, isn't that crazy? And, it, and it's, it's that unique relationship that spouses share with each other that, that's different from every other type of relationship. And just 
in what it is. And there's something so beautiful about that. But, but it's interesting that, you know, if we talk about male and female, aren't, Father Matt, come on, aren't those just antiquated terms? Or if we're talking about Adam and Eve, isn't that just an old story? Like, we don't really believe that, do we? Well, you know what's interesting? Maybe you heard this, that science and genetics, uh, the leading hypothesis is that all human beings descended from the same two parents. You ever heard that? So that all of us came from the same, like, mother and father. And so maybe, maybe their names were like, you know, Frank and Genevieve or something, you know, but like whoever they were, that what, what we believe is that, that we, we need to believe, that we're told to believe, invited to believe, is that in the beginning there was the original couple and that this couple experienced the union that God made for them, that union with one another, that union with God, and, and then something happened. Something got ruptured, that trust was lost, and, and then we experience the consequences of that. That because of original sin, we experience brokenness. And, and even specifically in our sexuality, we experience a lot of brokenness. That, that goes back to the beginning and how that, it's, it's carried on in us. And yet, God doesn't leave us in that brokenness. But Jesus comes to unite us, invite us into that union with God. And so that's a, that's a snapshot of what we believe about the story. We, we tell this story not because it's true that it happened in this specific way, but because it's true that this is what happened and it affects us today and, what, and tells us what God's plan is. But the other thing is, you know, what about, is it really just male and female? Now, Father, you know about, you know, men with an extra X chromosome, that's Kleinfelter syndrome. You know, women who only have one X chromosome, that's Turner syndrome. And so we can't really say just male and female. It's like, well, but, but hold on a second. That, that even people with these different, um, you could say, extraordinary abnormalities, that even still, their, their, their bodies still speak a language. That even with somebody who's, you could say, intersex, that there's maybe multiple sexual organs, that, that except for the rare circumstances, you, you still see the presence of a, of a man who, in his being, is, is able to make a gift of himself, uh, and he's naturally ordered towards impregnation. And you have a female who is naturally ordered towards pregnancy. Now, not all women are going to get pregnant, and, but, but they're still ordered to that. And, and in this complementary union, they have the capacity to be more than the sum of the parts. Now, even you say, well, okay, that's great, Father Matt, but even you aren't going to get married. And it's like, not everyone's going to get married. Not everyone's going to experience this. No, but we still want it and need it because our world needs to see that visible presence of God. And, and there's something about this, this union that we're invited to that, that, that is, it's difficult. It's, it's hard. Marriage is hard, <laughs> isn't it, right? Uh, actually, life is hard. Maybe I'll step back for a second and just comment. Um, some people do experience a lot of difficulty 
in who they were made to be, specifically in their sexuality. And, and if, we, if we experience something that's difficult or hard, who wants to hear all about it? But the Lord. The Lord who created us. The Lord who knows everything about us, even if I feel misunderstood. Well, Jesus felt misunderstood. The Jesus whose arms are open to all of us. That every one of us know how, if, if we exist, it's because God knew the world would be a better place with us in it. And that who we are in our bodies and our being is no accident. That somehow God has a plan for us to find fulfillment and happiness. That the union he created us for ultimately is a union with him. And that the marital union is a preparation, a molding to prepare us for that union with him. What do I mean by that? I, um, our, our speaker gave this example I thought was, was good and fitting. He said, because I've seen this in my buddies, he says, you ever notice how when a man becomes, when he's married and becomes a father, that things change? That, that suddenly he, I don't know, he puts the controller down and now all of a sudden he's chasing a one-year-old across the floor. I, saw, I was with a, a family two weeks ago and there was like this guy and he's got the flat bill and he's all about like golf and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden his five-year-old daughter walks up and says, Daddy, play with me outside. And he's like, okay, honey. You know, and then here he is outside just playing, running around. And I'm like, that's beautiful. I mean, I bet in college none of his buddies could have predicted that, you know. But there's something about being invited into that union of marriage and the, the gift of this new life of this child that has softened his heart, that, that the grace of God has worked on him. Because you, you can't have a union if I'm me and you're you and you just have to deal with me and accept me. But somehow, marriage for marriage to work, we have to cooperate. That I'm invited to make a gift of myself and you're invited to receive me as I am. And there, there's something that's beautiful. And, yeah, I, I just I was just thinking about marriage, difficult. I had another friend this week I met with. Um, he's, he's working through a 12-step program, and he said, I need to meet with a church person, and Father Matt, you're a church person. I was like, I'll be your church person. So we sat down, and he just said, I, you know, I've been married. Um, uh, I haven't been to church in 15 years, and I have two children with my wife, but now my wife is living with a different man, and I'm... I actually like a different girl, and I'd like to move in, but she tells me that I have to work on my issues before she'll let me move in. And Father Matt, I'm miserable. And it's like, wow. And I think a lot of people's experience of, God, of, of marriage and God, but experience of marriage is just, it's difficult. I told somebody that, was, that the readings and everything have to do about marriage today, and they go, Father Matt, you know the key to marriage, right? And I was like, what's that? And they said, the key to marriage is adversity. I said, you have to explain that. <laughs> um, he said, what I mean is, if you don't have any problems, you will never grow. And this comes from a man who tragically lost his own daughter from a man who's been plenty, through plenty of hardships himself. But when you face hardships, because I, th I think we get this wrong, is 
I think sometimes we can feel like the goal is to avoid hardships at all costs. But what he says, I think there's truth in it, that it's, it's through hardships, it's through difficulties that we face a choice. That I can choose to walk away, or I can choose to face my own brokenness, my own inability to control things and make the world what I want it to be, but to accept reality as it is, and to bend my knees before God, and allow his grace to soften my heart and mold me into the person he wants me to be. That a lot of times adversity is just me pushing into my inability to control things or to have things go my way. But, but what happens is if you push into a wall enough that, that it can start to actually mold you. And when you realize that, then I can actually start to cooperate with that that I can receive what God's doing in my life and allow his grace to, to do something beautiful in me. I've seen, a, I want to share two stories. I've seen healing and growth and marriage in a lot of ways, but two, one close to home. Um, with my own parents, there was, a time, there was a time in my life where I remember consciously thinking to myself, if this is what marriage is, that I see between my mom and my dad, I want nothing to do with it. But that was years ago. And God's grace has been at work because it always is. And even this past week when I was home on Tuesday down in Phoenix, my parents, and my, I was helping my dad drink something because he's got dementia, he can't even hold a cup and drink and stuff. And, and he started kind of like making a face and kind of like choking a little bit. And I said, Mom, I don't know what's going on, if there's something wrong or whatever. So my mom comes over and she puts her hand on his back. And she goes, John, are you okay? Is there, are you choking? Is everything all right? Would you like some more water? And, and just, just with a great gentleness and charity towards this person who at times made her life very difficult. This man who can do nothing for her anymore and demands, invites, unconditional love to accept him as he is. And I saw in that moment, sitting at the table, just an image of how God loves me, that I have nothing to add to God. And I almost reject the gifts that he tries to give me, and yet he's so tender and patient, wanting to listen to me and ask me, is everything okay? Do you want to talk about it? And I see in this image of my dad, a man who is so different than the man, my father, from years ago, where he has no choice but simply just to receive. And he, he has to trust that the people around him really want what's good for him. And I see in that my own invitation from God to just receive everything, like a child, recognizing that there's nothing I can do to earn heaven but simply to receive God's divine life and grace, which is salvation. And so in just an odd way, I see before me that this, this marriage that has been molded in time and grace and revealed God's love for me. La last story. I, there's a man named Cyprian who in 1963, he lived in Africa, 
He was engaged to be married to this woman. And this woman tragically died. And as is the custom, the cultural custom in, in Africa where he lived, he chose to marry her cousin. But he really didn't like her cousin because it wasn't her. And so he married the cousin Daphros. And they started having kids because, you know, that's what we do as married couples, you know. And, and, but he didn't really, his heart wasn't into it. And so he was having all these extramarital affairs, including he had a child over there. And, and this woman, Daphros, who is Catholic, would pray for him. And she would ask permission, hey, can I bring the kids to church? And so they had a lot of kids, and she'd bring them to church, and he wouldn't go, didn't care much about it. They had been married for 17 years, and he, he fell very ill. So he went to the hospital, and they told him he was going to die. And so he's sitting there in his hospital bed, and he's thinking about what is going to be said about him at his funeral. And in that moment, the light of God's grace penetrated that hardness. And he realized that he had been a terrible husband and a terrible father. Miraculously, he got better. And he said to his wife, like, I'm sorry. You deserve better. But he didn't just leave it at his words, but he began to follow through with his actions. He went back to Mass. He started going to confession. He began to pray and go to Eucharistic adoration. And and that hardness of his heart began to soften. And the two of them formed this beautiful marriage that became a light to the entire community of Rwanda. His life changed and he began to be, instead of being a man who was hard and selfish, he became selfless and joyful. He began to, to be a man of unity who spoke out against injustice. That speaking out got him in trouble because on April 6, 1994, there was unrest in Rwanda, if you know the history of Rwanda. And I don't know if he knew this at the time, but his name was at the top of the list of people to get rid of. And so his wife, him and his wife and his seven kids, they spent all night praying in adoration. And in the morning on April 7, 1994, armed men came in, dragged them outside, and killed Cyprian and Daphros and six of their kids. Their seventh one got away. They thought he was dead, but he lived. That's how, I, that's how we know what happened. And in 2015, the cause for their canonization, Cyprian and Daphros, was opened. Spearheaded by their four surviving children who were so grateful to God for the gift of their parents and for this visible sign this this awareness that God's grace can transform even the most hardened of hearts and make that heart receptive to God's grace which wishes to transform it you and I we do not start out as perfect people and we will only become perfect by receiving God's perfect grace that his grace will perfect us. That God made us who we are, and as we cooperate, as we allow his fruitful love into our lives, that we can be made into the saints he created us to be.